This episode of Gen C is sponsored by Chainalysis. Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. Sam, so nice to see you. Avery, how is everything? Where in the world are you? I think we're matching color-wise today, which I really like. What's going on? Gen C and neutrals. Yes, we are. I'm live from Hudson Yards. How about you? <laughs> I'm live from Flatiron. We're like a stone's throw from each other. We should have done this live. Neighbors, we really need to do more live episodes. That should be one of our goals. We should do that coming up for our Basel. Are you going to be there, Sam? I'm going to be at our Basel. I would love that. Let's figure it out. Maybe we can do some Gen C merch all in off-white or maybe an A-Crew might be nice. little touch of uh, Gen C neutrals, maybe a little hint of green, though, to nod towards our branding. Always up. Avery, I think we're going to deep dive in this intro into the immersive worlds that is immersive worlds. So I've sort of collected a bunch of things to talk about that I want your opinions on, that I want us to mix it up about. The first is, and I think I shared this with you, was reading a report on virtual brand environments from, I don't know if they're pronounced G-I-Q or Geek. It's Geek. Okay. Charles's company, Geek. Yes, Charles's company, Geek. I saw the report on virtual brand experiences, which was really interesting. But the thing that sort of stuck out to me most was when you measure the properties that under 25s are spending most of their time in. Number one is Roblox, something you've been talking about forever. Number two, TikTok. Three, YouTube. Number four, Minecraft. So you think about that, it's two virtual worlds and two really entertainment-focused social platforms. And so I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on this as a reality, really for the marketers in the room, because I've been having a lot of conversations, as I'm sure you have in the last couple of weeks, on how we should be thinking really future, right? Like 12 months, 36 months, about the rise of these virtual environments, both VR, AR, and gameplay, as well as video. And like, what is a brand to do with these spaces? Like, how do you guys approach bringing brands into these environments? Yeah, it's a good question, Sam. And I think it's one that's very blurry because if you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different definitions of like, what is an immersive experience versus a game versus a metaverse versus a virtual world? And what I've observed working with a lot of these platforms directly is they all characterize them a little bit differently. Some of them like to lean into gaming, some like to learn into metaverse, cough meta, some like to lean into immersive experiences, some like to lean into immersive social. Like Roblox very clearly does not identify themselves as being a gaming company, though a lot of their players actually identify as gamers and as people who are playing in a game. And the way that we think about it is one, it's like social, where there's not just one way to show up on social. There's X, there's Meta, there's TikTok, and there's always a new thing. Just this week, like Flip has been trending and has been everywhere. 
So I think it's the same is probably true of these immersive worlds and immersive experiences. Some of them are a destination, some of them are a platform, some of them are communities. And one thing's for sure, there will continue to be more and more of these built because people want to engage and interact virtually. And as we know very well, people want to own things online. They want to bring their digital items with them across different realms. There's a lot that people are trying to crack in terms of interoperability. But balancing interoperability with scalability, I think, has been a challenge. But the way we think about it for brands is consumers are looking for these ownable, immersive, personalized experiences. There is no question about that. There is no question about where they're showing up. And we have a lot of data to back that up. Geek, of course, has you know puts out these fantastic reports. They have their own self-service platform as well, where you can see what they have access to data-wise. So you can sort of validate that people are there. And the way to show up from my perspective is very similar to how brands try to experiment with any like new place. It's authentically connect with those communities, authentically partner with the leaders in that space, with creators in that space and learn before you go all in on launching something that's fully brand owned. What stands out to me from what you're saying is three different things. One is it actually reminds me of the beginning of when experiential was becoming a thing. Yes. Because in the beginning of Experiential, which was really like when I was really building most of my career, every company had a different name for what Experiential was, right? Some were events companies, some were PR companies, some were doing activations, some were doing stunts. No one could align on what the language was even. So it was actually very hard to be an agency in that time because you're selling five different things to five different people in ways that you're hoping to get a little bit of a budget from someone who had to take it from somewhere else. And then at some point, Experiential just became kind of the accepted category. And it feels like now kind of virtual or persistent experiences like feel like there's a moment happening around that. The second thing that I want to digest from what you said, which is a hypothesis we've talked about a little bit, but I've been just going and sort of battle testing it with other folks in the space, is this idea that the evolution of experience design is going to these immersive worlds. And so in speaking to a digital marketer, a large brand this past weekend, I kind of asked their opinion about this. And the thing they said, which I thought was really interesting, was it costs the same for them to build an experience in a virtual world than it does for them to create one pop-up event experience in a major city, right? So if you really break that down, it's like you can do your influencer event in Tokyo or in Paris, and you're going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars to do it. Or you can build something in a Roblox, in a Minecraft, in a Fortnite, in a Zepetto or Spatial. And you can have tens of thousands of people go through it versus 500 in a single evening. So they were looking at a little bit like kind of this analogy of if we're going to be doing five events this year, maybe one of them actually is a virtual space that ends up being our always on 24-7 experience. And then the other four IRL and they kind of feed into each other. Oh, you didn't get to make it to our event? Go enjoy it in whatever world it might be. So I thought that was also an interesting framing of experiential as a stepping stone now is going to be live events, augmented hybrid events, and then fully immersive events. Any thoughts on that? I love that. And I think theoretically, it makes sense. Practically, event space designers, like the environment design inherently has to be so different even between Roblox and Zepetto. That's the reality. It can be the same sort of broad concept of, hey, you know, we're going to show up in this type of a way, but it's not like you can just take your renders from ArtBasil and put them in Roblox and it's going to work. So I think it still has to be fit for context the same way it has to be fit for context in you know different cities and in different pop-up experiences. It also has to be fit for context and fit for format in these different worlds. And that, I think what you just explained is the way a lot of like brands would think about it. It's like, well, I have this pop-up and I'm now going to just virtually pop up. If you do that, if you build it, they won't come. 
unless it's good, is my two cents. Of course. Well, two things. One, I think we're not there yet, but I know there's a bunch of people who are working in this space that we are entering a place where the tools you use to design your 3D, your fabrication and your event design for a pop-up are going to be able to output into game-ready assets that you could import into a Unity, that you could import into an Unreal. And this is something I've spoken to a fair amount of people in the architecture space about, that like as they're designing spaces now, it's getting easier and easier. It's not a one-to-one solution yet. There needs to be some middleware. But I do think that if you were designing you know, the flagship Gucci store in Venice and you wanted to create that version in Roblox or in Spatial, it wouldn't be as hard today as it would. I think it's getting easier and easier. And I think theoretically, it makes all the sense in the world. And we haven't seen that many people doing it yet. I think it's really smart. And I think people who really understand experiential should gravitate to scaling this out. And then, you know, I wouldn't be a Vaynerite if I didn't say, it's not only about the event and the experience. It's not only about bringing it to these places. It's about capturing those experiences, both in person and virtually to scale on social. I think we have this big theory that like events can be a huge content generator if done properly. And I think virtual events can as well. I think this allows us to go to the next step, which is also part of the conversations I've been asking people. And I think that you've probably been focusing on is this idea of immersive commerce, right? That we're starting to get to a point where we know Roblox is building out a ton of like Shopify-like features into what they're doing. We know that Fortnite and Unreal are doing the same thing. We're seeing it in a lot of the kind of blockchain-based virtual worlds. But the idea that you can be buying virtual items and also that your immersive worlds can be storefronts for IRL items, which I think is a really interesting place at Advertising Week this past, uh, last week. I was on a session with Super League, but also with the executive producer of Hamilton. And what she, Maggie, was saying was when people come to the show, there are limited edition t-shirts you can only get when you go to a Hamilton performance. And so people buy those as badges to be there. She's like, we're starting to do those as, you know, to come into our Roblox experience, the Hamilton experience they have in Roblox. But then we were talking about, oh, but what if you could also only buy a specific shirt by visiting or going through a specific experience on Roblox, but that we send you the actual shirt. And it becomes kind of a more front end shopping experience in an immersive world. I was just reading about this group 3DM, which is doing a lot of AR, VR. We love 3DM. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But the thing that was just really interesting to me was they just did a big raise and the lead investor on the big raise wasn't like an A16Z, it was Interpublic Group. And I was like, oh, so interesting that it's an ad holding company that's coming in to help create immersive commerce because that's where the ad companies also see there's going to be an opportunity in the future. Are you guys working at all on the idea of like in-world commerce as a scalable technology? I would say we're experimenting with it. And... I think we're trying to advise our brands to not be too greedy because you can make some money, but it's very small. It's very, very small. And I think that the earned media potential is actually greater than that if you do it correctly. I've seen a lot of these agencies buy up like rights to monetize digitally, this thing that we saw with NFTs. And we kind of tried to caution away from that too much. I think it's okay for pilots. It's okay for very limited things. But I would way rather have 100,000 people claim a free digital item and be wearing it around Roblox than to sell a thousand of them for a hundred dollars each, just because like the math doesn't math on those things. I wonder a little bit about the stock X's of the world, the Supremes of the world. Like- That's why I said the very limited edition. Yes. Yeah. But if you're just like a normal brand t-shirt, like why don't we just give those away and then have them be walking billboards versus if you're like, great, there's only a hundred of these that are super exclusive and awesome. And you know, done with this cool designer and unlock this cool thing that I think the premiumization hundred percent 
think the mass though, it doesn't make sense for brands to be too greedy yet because it's still a building economy. Got it. Makes sense. And then the final thing before we get to our guests who I'm really excited about is you had mentioned, and I think you showed us a couple of weeks ago, the Ray-Ban Meta News Spectacles, whatever they're called. Yes, I did. So last week, I also was invited to come up to Meta to see their new hardware, which I got to try those. The thing I thought was really interesting about the new Ray-Ban Meta glasses actually was less about that I can capture video, but that I also was able to capture spatial audio. They have five microphones on them. So if you're at a concert, if you're at a a meeting, if you're at a conference, you're actually getting audio that is full 360. And I was like, it just furthered the idea, which I think people are still not utilizing enough of yet, that augmented reality doesn't only have to be visual, but it could also be audio. The idea that you can be walking down the street and getting a history tour of the neighborhood that you might be in and having it be directional audio. I was thinking about, there was a startup that never went anywhere back, like, I don't know, maybe five years ago, where they were doing audio GPS for the blind. But the fact that you had spatial audio, you could actually direct people where to go based on where the sound was coming from, which I thought was really interesting. Do you have any thoughts on the idea of augmented reality, virtual reality being more audio focused than video focused? I'm a massive believer in sonic branding. And I think it's something that was hot a few years ago and has cooled off. One brand that I think has continued to do very well there is actually MasterCard. Like to me, they've really made that a big thing. For my time in APAC, we did some work with Gojek, which is kind of like the Uber of Southeast Asia. And they had a really awesome sonic brand sound. We did some work on that, which was fun. I love that Meta is integrated in the sort of latest Ray-Ban glasses because I think it's important. It just isn't used as much now as I would think. And what I actually think could be the catalyst for this and might drive this sort of resurgence in voice is AI because what it's able to answer will soon be much more robust. Like, I think that's one of the challenges with using some of these like connected devices right now is like the maximum output they have is sometimes limited. And I think AI could actually potentially unlock that and the advent of like generative AI being so widely available. So cautiously optimistic, Sam. All right. I also will say I tried their new, the Oculus Pro, which has the pass-through glasses. So you can really see in color and sort of higher def the world around you, which is also what Apple Vision Pro has. It was the first time that I was like, oh, I get it a little bit more. So I don't know about you, but I'm a little more excited for our headset future, even though the form factor is still very, very challenging. Anyway, enough of the metaverse. Let's talk about Mattel. We are going to invite, after the break, our guest, Ron Friedman. He's the VP of Mattel Future Labs. He probably has some opinions about the stuff we've just spoken about. We're really excited to chat with Ron. So after the break, we'll get to it. Chainalysis is the premier blockchain data platform. Crypto businesses, financial institutions, and government agencies utilize Chainalysis data and services to answer their biggest questions about the blockchain. As regulators and policymakers work together to pass legislation that provides clarity for crypto businesses and protects consumers, they have the chance to do so with unparalleled data and research into the crypto ecosystem. Demystify cryptocurrency and gain greater visibility and insight by visiting Chainalysis.com slash Gen C. Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy you're here. I know it has been many months in the making. What's up? Yeah, you know, it was hard to schedule. I know everyone's super busy as always, but we're really happy to be here. Great to speak with both of you and looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. So Ron, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit, but I would love if you can introduce yourself to the Gen C community. Tell us a little bit about Ron, tell us a little bit about your job and what brought you here today. Sure, yeah. So in spite of my name, but as you can probably tell by my accent, 
I am not from here. I was born and raised in Mexico City and started my career in marketing, first in luxury goods and then in travel and hospitality. But as the economy came crashing down in 2008, I decided it was the perfect time to go back to school and sort of like invest in myself. So I enrolled in UCLA Anderson to get my MBA and, you know, had hopes to accelerate my career as well as open more doors. And it worked. After graduating, I went to work for L'Oreal, first in their Paris headquarters, which yes, it was a dream. But then they sent me back to Mexico City, which was also great, a great experience. But after spending a couple of years back in Mexico and having had our first baby, we just really wanted to get back to LA. Like we fell in love with LA when we were here for my master's and was lucky to get an offer from Mattel to work on their then newly created North America division, which is fancy speak for the US local marketing team. Shortly after that, there was a reorg, a big reorg of the company that opened the door for me to move into the Hot Wheels global brand team, which is, to be honest, the role that I always wanted to get when I got to Mattel. But there was a catch, which ended up being a blessing in disguise. They put me in charge of a segment, which is Hot Wheels version of the Island of Misfit Toys. It was basically everything that wasn't core to the brand, right? It wasn't die-cast cars, it wasn't track sets, it wasn't play sets. It was just a mismatch of all the opportunistic innovation items that teams before had pursued as either PR drivers or TV items for the holidays, but which had no real strategic purpose or fit within them. I'm aging myself, but this was like way back in 2013. And this is just a couple of years after the iPad was launched, right? So we had started to see a dramatic change in consumer behavior with kids starting to graduate away from the brand at a much earlier age, right? And not just the brand, meaning Hot Wheels, but just away from physical toys and into digital gaming. So we took action and I developed a strategy that was built around the power of technology, specifically digital capabilities, to develop products and play experiences that would make the brand more relevant for older consumers, as well as help keep existing consumers engaged with the brand for a longer time, right? And so that change thrusted me into the world of tech, which just fascinated me. First, still as sort of like a product marketing manager, but then required me to go back to school so that I could transition into a full product management role. And as they say, the rest is history because that was one of the most pivotal and meaningful trajectory changes in my career. After a couple more years leading both product management and marketing for the Hot Wheels Advanced Play team, I got a phone call from Amazon who was looking for someone to help lead product marketing and business development for their secure delivery service. It's called Amazon Key. I don't know if you've heard of it. Not many people have, but though leaving Mattel was really never part of my plan. It was just too big of a challenge to have Amazon call you for an opportunity like this for me to say no to, you know? So I left Mattel to work at Amazon. And while working on secure delivery isn't as much fun as working on toys, Working on really complex, interesting challenges and with so many smart as hell people was an incredibly fun and rewarding experience. And one which I honestly learned so, so much and validated how important it is to work backwards from the customer. Then at the end of 2021, Chris Down, who's Mattel's chief design officer and was my former manager at Mattel, called me to just like talk about how Amazon operationalizes innovation, right? And what we did there that was so different and unique that Amazon was such an innovative company. And one phone call turned into two, then into a regular series. And then at the very end of the year, he just said, like, Ron, I want you to come back and lead this new innovation team at Mattel. 
And though once again, I had no plans to leave Amazon. That seemed like too much of a fun challenge that I couldn't say no to. So I took the offer and I've been here leading the Material Future Lab team for almost two years, which is how we got to meet and talk every day. Ron, first of all, so nice to meet you. I have two questions. The first is, what is your favorite taco spot in Mexico City and what's your order? And the second is, what is the Mattel Future Lab? Yeah, great. So the first one is the most important question I think you'll ask me all day. Of course. And it's a hard one to answer, but my favorite taco place in Mexico City is a little obscure. It's called El Huequito, which really means this little hole. Because it started as a little hole in the wall in downtown Mexico City, they have other locations now, but they do the most unique and delicious tacos al pastor that you ever have. They are just incredible. If you ever go to Mexico City... I'm putting it on my list. I go like twice a year, so I'm taking that to heart. Awesome. All right, what is the Mattel Future Lab? Let's be honest. Yeah, so Mattel Future Lab is a small and experimental innovation team that is focused on pioneering the future of play, specifically through disruptive digital engagement, which has a really wide meaning. It ranges from connected products, which are physical toys or games that are enhanced by or brought to life by a digital application, to virtual collectibles, which build on adult collector trends and delivers innovative ways to collect Mattel-based products within a virtual environment that is built on the blockchain, right? So we call them, you know, NFTs, but we don't like to call them NFTs. We'll talk about that. Why? To Caribou, which is an award-winning interactive video calling platform that we acquired just around this time last year and which we believe will play a central role in our near future and how we establish direct connection with our fans all around the world, to emerging technologies like augmented reality and, of course, artificial intelligence, which this year has been a huge focus for us, both as a tool to unlock more creativity and productivity for our design and development teams, but also as an enabler to build really cool, innovative products, like the recently launched Pictionary versus AI, which I don't know if you've heard about, which we helped develop in collaboration with the Mattel's games team. And we're really excited about That sounds pretty epic. Ron, you guys do a lot of cool stuff at Future Lab. And I feel like every single time I turn around, there's another update. I know you've taken a, a bunch of big swings here. What are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on at Future Lab or that you're most proud of? Yeah, I mean, I'll mention too, I think I just mentioned Pictionary versus AI. That one is hot off the press and one that we're really excited about because... You know, AI, while it's been in the works for many years, it wasn't sort of like in the zeitgeist until very recently. And our ability to get a product in market so quickly, this concept didn't even exist before February of this year. And on shelves right now, right? Consumer grade, child safe, and an amazing, just incredibly fun experience. And our collaboration with our cross-functional teams at Mattel and with the inventors that brought the initial concept to life and with all of our developers... It's just been fantastic and very rewarding to see. And it's off to a great start. It's incredibly well received by the customers. And I think will be a platform on which we build for many years into the future. The other one, which I think is one that is more appropriate for your audience, given the subject matter, is the Hot Wheels NFT Garage. This was really an experiment that started from someone on our team that was just passionate about the world of Web3 and came up with this concept of like, can we do a proof of concept with just three NFTs and see if you know, there's an audience and try to see if there's a product market fit. And from that very small idea, we now have a multi-million dollar product that has continued to grow with every single drop that we've done. We've continued to validate that product market fit. And we have at least five more years in our roadmap that we've already started to build on. So 
really proud of that work. And that sort of like shows what the purpose of Future Lab is, right? To take ideas that are unproven and experimental and productize them and really build really meaningful value for both our customers, but also for the company. And Ron, just to dive into that a little more, I know you guys have worked with like Flow Blockchain on a bunch of your stuff. I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about probably connected products, which it sounds like, you know, an NFT garage is a really prime opportunity for. And I know we'll get to some of the stuff you guys have been doing in game worlds and game environments. Like, how are you internally defining the idea of Web3? You know, Avery and I take this more expansive approach of it not needing to be related to blockchain, but more kind of this new layer of connectivity. How do you look at Web3 at Mattel and your initiatives against it? And, you know, is Web3 a dirty word or is it something that you guys champion? We totally champion Web3 and really all innovation. I think that NFT has started to become a dirty word just because we're reacting to consumer trust. And I think how the mainstream consumers are feeling after what I think was a really bad period during the bubble. But the first thing that I'll say is that we're still firm believers in the power and user benefits that Web3 offers and remain undeterred in building great products for our customers. No matter how badly the NFT market is performing, to us, it was never about sort of like an opportunistic moment to capture value and like take advantage of what was very obviously now a propped up market. We see it as a collection of technologies and we see that as sort of like capabilities that can deliver interesting user benefits and technical capabilities that, yes, leverage a lot of blockchain technologies and other sets of innovations to deliver identity, authenticity, security, and probably most importantly, ownership, all of which are exciting things to build products with, right? But ultimately, that's all they are. I think it's technologies, it's scaffolding, it's in the background. It's not the end product itself. They're just enablers, right? I think our focus has always been consumer first, experience second, and technology third. And only as a answer or solution to a real customer need, which is why I think we've been able to remain successful and grow in spite of the broad NFT and crypto winter, right? I think that it's important that ultimately products need to be purposeful, brand authentic, and easy to use. And it doesn't matter if they're built on Web 2, Web 3, or whatever you want to call it. It's always been our philosophy to try and make technology as transparent as possible. I think that all that opportunistic behavior, even predatory behavior that a few bad actors had during that bubble destroyed a lot of value and eroded a lot of trust. And I think that if we really want to make Web3 a reality and be massively adopted, it needs to be built on trust. And it's going to take a lot of work to gain that trust back. And it's going to take brands like us and others to build really great product experiences that, again, like doesn't need to be like even something we call out that is Web3, right? Or blockchain. I don't think the average consumer really cares about that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you all have positioned a lot of your NFTs as digital collectibles and as new ways for collectors to engage with your brands. How have you thought about sort of messaging that out? Because I see your drops very often sell out. There's a lot of interest. Is this coming from sort of Web3 natives or is it coming from fans of the brand who want a new way to engage with their favorite toy brands? It's a great question. And I think we are very fortunate to have such an amazing intellectual property and brand like Hot Wheels that has over 50 years of fandom and experience and a lot of really passionate fans. And most of our audience in our current program is undoubtedly core collectors and people that just want to interact with the brand in a different way. We have brought in people that are like crypto natives and we've continued to grow. And it's, you know, about, I'd say between 15 and 20% of our audience are brand new and new to the brand, but 80% is core and have always been collectors. That's been an interesting learning. We thought that it was going to be the opposite and we're going to be more sort of like crypto native 
people joining the program, but it's been our core collectors that have been doing it, which is why, you know, we're even now considering like having NFT within the brand name of the NFT garage was logical and natural back when we launched it. But right now, I don't know that it needs to be relevant. And so we're talking about potentially rebranding it to make it even more accessible and friendly for the mainstream consumer. You're telling me, Ron, Vader NFT had to evolve. Maybe NFT Garage will turn into <laughs> another kind of garage. Exactly. I mean, Vayner Garage has a nice ring to it. There we go. It's solved. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, you can't have existed in the year 2023 without having come across the like gigantic tidal wave that was Barbie. And probably most of the people on our audience know Barbie is a Mattel IP product. It was everywhere this year. Unbelievable success in reimagining that brand as well as its connectivity to new audiences. You also were doing things like digital collectibles with Barbie and like Balmain. Can you tell us how that came together and like what was the kind of approach to bring innovation to this project? Because it really felt like for a while Barbie was everywhere, but also in every type of touch point from digital collectibles to large experiences and on TV. So what was the Mattel Future Labs approach to Barbie? First of all, I think that we're incredibly proud of the work that both the marketing teams and the content teams did on that movie, right? I think that it was amazing to see how broadly it impacted our daily lives, right? Outside of spaces that you didn't think about. And it was all done really authentically. And I think that's sort of like what we try to do as well, right? Find an authentic way to have the brand show up in places where our consumers are going. That's the most important thing. The other thing that I'd like to say is, you know, Barbie used to get a bad rap. I think the movie is helping a lot to change that perception, but Barbie has always been an incredibly innovative and forward-thinking brand. And so way before the movie was even in most people's minds, we were thinking ahead of like finding what authentic ways can we work with a brand for it to show up in the world of Web3 and in other innovation spaces. And I think the collaboration with Ballman was just a very natural path. We were working with them on a joint drop and a capsule that we did for both a few physical products that we were launching on Mattel Creations, as well as a set of like fashion items that were going to be sold on retail. And so both brands were curious about the world of Web3. Both brands were collaborating in an authentic way that was fashion forward. And so we experimented with those sort of like first three NFTs, the way that we had started with Hot Wheels with those first three NFTs. And it just validated, yeah, there was an audience there that was wanting to collect Barbie items and that were gravitating towards what the brand represented. And so we continued to pursue that thread, right? And that led to our collaboration with the Boss Beauties team. And we came together with a collaboration, which was a purpose-based approach rather than a fashion-based approach to help get more women into the world of Web3 and continue to validate our audience appetite for Barbie-based virtual collectibles. And I think that ultimately we see these as learning opportunities as we build long-term plans, not just for Barbie, but for all of our intellectual properties, right? It's about finding authentic ways to show up and stay relevant. There's no secret formula. Each brand is unique. Each audience is unique. And you need to really listen and really adapt to what your customer wants. Barbie and Hot Wheels are just some of your IP. But you guys have done an amazing job with Jurassic Park, your partnership with Cryptoys, Masters of the Universe. Like you've been bringing a lot of different IP into these sort of new emerging tech rails. And my question is sort of, do you look at each IP specifically and say, what is their audience interested in and how do we talk to them through these lanes? Or are you guys building almost like a toolkit that you can bring any of your IP brands into that sort of just becomes part of a go-to-market strategy for a new product, a new drop, a new opportunity? 
first of all, thank you for the praise. We're really proud of the work that we've done and the work that other partners are doing. Like we said, you know, the crypto team who we love working with. The answer is yes, and we do both of those things, right? And I think that's an important approach that we've taken. Again, our approach in this space and in every single space, and you hear me say this over and over again, is to focus on the customer first and try to meet them where they are or where we believe they're going. And so virtual collectibles is just an extension of play patterns and behaviors that we know resonate with our adult and adult collector audiences, right? And so we think that that is true for all of our IP and for all IP holders, right? It doesn't matter if you're a toy maker like us or a sneaker brand like Adidas or Nike. It's never about the tech, right? It's about what the tech enables. And if you're able to leverage the technology in a brand authentic way that is built with a human-centric approach, meaning that it solves a true customer need or a true customer want and can be easily used by your audience, then you have a good chance of being successful and breaking through. And so that's how we approach each brand, right? Think about the consumer first and building backwards from there. But we also don't want to build every single thing over and over again. It's really expensive if you build it in silos and you have to rebuild it for the next brand. And so we've tried to take a platform approach in how we build our tech stack. So our virtual collectibles product platform, which is built on our Mattel Creations site, is made to be expansive so that all of our brands can be added on with a brand authentic experience, right? Which will be different from one another but based on the same platform so that it can scale much more easily. And all the investments that we've made for Hot Wheels are now paying off for other brands that we're exploring to add to that platform. I love that. So we've talked a lot about sort of the platform of digital collectibles. Ron, does your remit at Future Lab also include immersive experiences? And if so, which ones are kind of capturing your attention these days? Yeah, you know, we have an interesting sort of like setup, right? We have an incredible digital gaming team, which is really right now at least, focused on licensing opportunities. And so they are the ones that are mostly dealing with existing immersive experiences and platforms like Roblox and Fortnite and so on, and figuring out ways for our brands to show up there. Our team is focused on building first-party experiences from the ground up. And while building a fully immersive experience is not something we're working on immediately, it is definitely on our horizon, right? We really believe that however you want to call them, right? I think that, you know, metaverse was the hottest thing in the planet last year. Now it's dead and no one wants to even say that word. But the idea of interactive virtual experiences are incredibly powerful for us. And we really believe in their power to connect people and to create community and to have our brands be part of that. And that's something we'll continue to invest our efforts in figuring out how to solve. And we also think about how our virtual collectibles will show up in those platforms, right? Every single NFT that we make, every virtual collectible that we make has a fully rigged 3D asset that is already game ready, right? So everything that we're doing right now will ultimately have a new life in those virtual worlds that either we make or that we partner with someone else to make. I think it's really exciting. And I think it's very forward thinking to look at it through these fully rigged assets because Avery and I were talking earlier in the intro about that we are not yet there, but we're, you know, approaching a world where it will only take some bit of middleware or interpretive software that will allow any kind of 3D assets to be brought into any type of 3D asset world. And it sounds like you guys are building for the future in that respect. I had the pleasure of trying out the Oculus Pro last week, which is, you know, a mixed reality headset. And my first thought was we were going to have this conversation. And the idea that, again, thinking about Jurassic Park, thinking about Hot Wheels, thinking about Barbie, and how putting them in your home as a kid is something that I would have liked nothing more than to be able to play in that world. So I guess, are you guys 
doing development for your own immersive experiences that are going to be utilizing this sort of new model of mixed reality? Yeah, I mean, I'll say absolutely yes, unequivocally yes. I personally still have challenges and reservations about sort of like the head-mounted display interface and their ability to really break through with mainstream consumers. But I say this with a grain of salt because like it reminds me of a video that I saw just you know a couple of weeks ago about the early 90s where people were like baffled by the use of credit cards at Burger King. I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah. And so it still may very well be that that will be the norm in a few years and I'm just not seeing it clearly. That said, I really do think that the advancement that both Apple and Meta are delivering with the latest generation of devices open the window to what may really be the future, right? And believe that augmented reality and mixed reality are really the ultimate destination versus like the isolating VR-driven experiences that most people think about and associate when they think about an Oculus. The magic of blending digital and IRL worlds is incredibly powerful, right? It's just magical. And so as devices become more user-friendly and unobtrusive, like the Meta Ray-Bans, for example, right, as they get better, the more that these will have a chance to really change the world. And plus, you know, like we all obviously watched the interview between Mark and Lex from a few weeks ago and how they discussed the potential that these type of devices unlock to bring people together, right? Even when they're far apart. And for us, that's incredibly powerful and something we're really interested in, especially in the context of like virtual playdates and Caribou, the platform that I talked about, right? So that we can bring families and kids and friends together through play, regardless of place. Like that's really, really cool. And so we're looking at it, we're thinking about it as we build our assets. Again, thinking about not just now, but the future as well. I love that. And I think magical is the perfect description, the perfect description for a company like Mattel, where you bring so much magic and play to people's lives. I'm curious if you all, like I mentioned, you always have something new that's coming out. Big shout out for the Masters of the Universe collab with Friends. I think that was one of my favorite Friends things that's ever happened. I thought that one was amazing. But give us a little sneak peek a little bit of a taste. What is new coming out of the Future Labs? I bet there will be something big for holiday. Yeah. I mean, first, thanks for the opportunity to plug this. Our next drop is really just around the corner with our Hot Wheels NFT Garage Lamborghini drop, which goes on sale on Thursday, November 2nd, 9 a.m. Pacific. They do sell out really quickly. So if you're interested in... Marking my calendar. Yeah. Mark on your calendars. Get a reminder. There are 19 different Lamborghinis to collect, all of which are truly, absolutely stunning. And if you're able to collect a full set of the 19, you will get airdrop a token that is redeemable for a very limited edition purple Lamborghini Veneno, which is one of only four Lamborghinis that were made for the 50th anniversary. And it's collector quality, die cast, beautiful car. Packs are $25 each. They get five virtual collectibles. And each pack has about a 40% chance to get one of the three ultra rare versions that you'll need to complete a full set of 19. The webpage is live now. All information is available there on our creations.mattel.com site. We have one more drop after that with the Series 7. We don't have an announcement date yet, but that'll be sometime in early December as well. Ron, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. My final question is just, you know, if there was a couple of takeaways that you would give our audience, you know, we have a lot of brand marketers, a lot of innovators who listen to the show. You know, are there lessons that you can impart to them about your approach to innovation how much you think of risk versus reward? Like, what is your ethos on approaching any new innovation project? Yeah, I mean, I've said this a lot today, and though I'm under no illusion to have the absolute truth, I really believe that the most important thing is to listen to your audience. 
identify what they want or need. And if the experience they're looking for doesn't exist, then find the solutions that can help you invent the future. Don't start with the tech, which is very easy to get blinded by. It's never about the tech, but the tech enables, right? If you start with a consumer and always keep them at the core of every decision that you make, you'll be on the right path, right? I think that these are one of the things that you get indoctrinated by at Amazon, but Jeff's been as successful as he's been for a reason. And I think that's because he's always been obsessed with the customer. And so that's something we try to always do and not act with a tech first approach, but really be open to any tech as a solution to a problem. I think that additionally, we have focused our innovation efforts on three main principles that we try to use as a rough guide to make sure that we're on track and at least up to this point have served us fairly well. The first one, and again, I've said this a lot today, is authenticity, both in terms of the brand fit and the customer experience. If you're not authentic, it will not resonate. The consumers are smart and they will sniff you out right away. Second, we want to build things that are made for mainstream consumers. We're Mattel. We're a huge company. We're a huge brand. And so that means that our products need to be made for the average consumer. They need to be accessible. They need to be easy to use no matter what technology you use, right? So we want to make sure that our experiences are seamless and wonderful and delightful. And then third, community and connection. We really do believe that if there's one thing that digital technology offers as a value is the ability to connect with other people, regardless of where you are. So we strive to make our products a bridge for customers to connect with other people they love or to find other like-minded people all around the world. And I think that those three principles and the always human-centered approach to how we design products is our philosophy. And again, like we're not perfect. We've had a lot of mistakes and a lot of failures, but it always helps us keep honest, right? And keep learning. Amazing. Ron, I feel like you dropped so many amazing insights, a little sneak peek of what's coming, a little history lesson of how you got here with Future Labs and in your career. And most importantly, we learned the best taco in Mexico City. So I just want to say a huge thank you for taking the time to share your perspective with Gen C. Um, We absolutely loved having you as a guest today. Thank you, Avery. Thank you, Sam. It was great to speak and I look forward to seeing in touch. Thanks, Ron. Avery, Ron was great. Thank you for helping pull him in. That's exciting. What were the highlights of that conversation? Because I do think that Ron dropped so many interesting sort of knowledge bombs on us during that combo. Ron has such a clear perspective of what works for consumers and like such clear principles. It seems like they've sort of guided him along his career, consumer obsession, leaning into innovation. And one thing that I sort of picked up as a through line is he's a great collaborator at Mattel. He mentioned what they do with licensing. He mentioned the sort of various cross-functional teams he works with. And I think that that's a really important role for some of these innovation groups is to play well in the sandbox with others, knowing innovation is where the future is heading, but you know the now really matters too. So I think those are the key takeaways I had on Ron's conversation. And of course, you know his global expertise, his Mexico City tips are, are always appreciated. How about you, Sam? When I think of the conversation we just had with Ron, and then I think of the one we had with Ben Leventhal, and then I think about the one we just had with Tom McLeod, this idea that I think is really something that I believe Web3 needs to understand so intuitively, and these brands know it, but I'm not sure everyone building Web3 knows. I'll just repeat what he said, because I thought it was so insightful, right? That when you're developing, you have to build for consumer first, experience second, and then technology third. I think Web3 flips that. They spend way too much time focusing on the technology and what is often a challenging technological experience. Instead of saying, what does the consumer want? How do I get it simple and in their hands? 
What's the experience like? And then the technology can fade to the back. And I think that is something we keep hearing time and time again from these big brands that I kind of wish the startups in our space knew more of. Yeah. And I also love that, you know, Mattel just keeps doubling down here. Like Ron shared a little bit about, you know, the foundations of NFT Garage, what they've done with Flow and what they continue to do. Like, I think they're a brand who continues to build in this space, continues to innovate in this space, continues to engage the current sort of Web3 audience as they build this as a new channel. I also love what he mentioned around Boss PDs and some of the more purpose-driven work that they've done, which I think, you know, we don't always see. So it's nice that they've got such a clear strategy through line. They're staying the course, though it sounds like we're now going to be rebranding it to Vayner Garage. So that was my real key takeaway. (laughs) That's the key takeaway. All right. Well, next week on Gen Z Garage, we will have another amazing conversation. Avery, lovely seeing you. Have an amazing week and look forward to the next time. See y'all next week, Gen Z. 